It's been an honor to be here these three days. God's been speaking to me, and I've been learning. So thank you for letting us come. You know, this last term, I filled in for some colleagues for about a year while they were on furlough in leading their ministry to trafficked women. And we would gather together and pray till about 10 o'clock at night and then put on all kinds of layers and walk out on the street to hand out coffee and offer prayer to the ladies that were out there. And one night, a lady, we can call her Rosa, she told me a story that really marked my heart, and I want to share it with you. She said, you know, I had a regular client, and I was his favorite. He would sometimes bring me gifts. But one time, I was six months pregnant, and so I wouldn't do everything he said, and he went like crazy angry. He just started screaming at me, and he grabs me, and he's strangling me. And it feels like it's taking forever. And as I'm about to pass out, I just say inside, God, I know I don't deserve to live, but will you forgive me? And you know what she was saying? She's saying, I know you won't rescue me from this mess that I made. It's stupid. It's my fault. But will you be merciful? And so today, before I tell you how we responded to Rosa, let's all look together at how the Father responds to Rosa and to you and me when we recognize that we need rescuing. Hopefully that fact has been evident at some point in your life. Maybe it was at salvation. For me, I was a PK. I was raised in church. But by God's mercy, somehow... My five-year-old heart, and, and probably it was because I had been experiencing some sexual abuse in my life about that point, but my five-year-old heart felt overwhelmingly black, and I went forward at an altar because I knew I needed God. And for you, maybe it's been then at salvation, or maybe it's been at another point where you came here to a Christian college trying to be a good kid, and you realize, you know what, I can make some really ugly choices. And when we find ourselves in a mess that we've made, the temptation is to try and save ourselves. Because for me, for years, even though I would go to God and my mouth was saying, God, will you forgive me? Inside in my gut, what I was really saying was, God, just wait. I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to do better. I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray harder. And I'm going to be good. And I'm going to try. And I'm going to get over this. And when we do this, we're really buying into the lie that is the heart of secularism, whose main pursuit is project self, where the focus is on me. I'm going to improve myself. I'm going to become strong. I'm going to define truth. I'm going to say what is good. I'm going to self-identify I can't even choose my gender. I'm going to self-evaluate, and I'm going to self-condemn, and in the end, I'm going to self-punish. And it's a focus on self and a self-reliance that started way back in a garden and whose power was broken in another garden, depending on the choice that was made. And that first choice was, I choose me. We all know that the Garden of Eden was full of trees bearing beautiful fruit, and there was only one that had been set aside as off-limits. And so when we read that, about that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
We think, you know, why, why was that such a big deal, knowing right from wrong? But if we can rephrase it to see what the choice was that Eve was really making, she was standing at the tree of, you can't tell me what's not good for me. She was standing at the tree of, I'll know everything. I'm not going to really need you. And Satan came questioning, what did God say? Who are you going to trust? And Eve looked at the tree where self was being elevated to be like God and said, yeah, I choose me. I choose my way. And I don't know about you, but we can shake our heads and say, you know, Adam and Eve, what was up? Why don't you just eat from another tree until we're standing at a similar tree? Like me. When I came to Bible school, and I began processing the things in my past. I was saying, God, you know, why did you allow this? A good father would not stand by and watch his daughter be sodomized. You're not wise. I choose, I choose me. Or maybe you're standing at a tree. It says, God, I know you're probably asking me to do that, but this, you know, that is what would make me happier. And I'm going to whiteboard my self-made hallucination, and I'm going to choose my way. You see, we've all stood at the tree, and we've all chosen the same thing. And it wasn't until freedom came when somebody else made a different choice. And that second choice was not I choose me, but I choose you. In fact, it was a lifetime of choices, 33 years, and it was encapsulated at another garden as Jesus wrestled with his choice at Gethsemane. In Luke 22, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He was saying, Father, this suffering is not what I want, but I choose your path. I lay down myself out of love for you and so that others might be free. And we are all going to continue until we're face-to-face with him to have Gethsemane moments. When the relationship is shattered because of my anger and my mouth, I'm going to choose to say, God, I trust you. It's your forgiveness that cleanses me. It's not my attempts to fix it, and you are the one that empowers me to change. Or when my mom's personality was being stripped away day by day, by Alzheimer's. And now she's suffering in her final weeks and she's screaming out as she loses her ability to swallow. And I made the choice. I trust you. You are wiser than I am. Your way is better, Father. I choose you. First Peter 2 says, he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die. The only truly selfless one hung on a tree weighted down with every selfish choice that we've ever made since the beginning. Why? Because he loved the Father, and he loved us. And so that anyone could be free from their enslavement to self. And he, Jesus, is calling. He's saying, you know what? It's time to lose yourself. 
if we're living for the weekend, if we're putting our hope in the next big adventure, if life is all about what we can get and making it the happiest for us, or if, like me, you're just weary from Project Self, of measuring yourself, did I do well? Am I good enough? Am I what you want? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be perfect. If we could only realize every day that we need him, just like the movie said last night, God doesn't need our strength. He's looking for our weakness because that's when we look and choose him and rely on him. And then in our weakness, we are strong. So how did we respond to Rosa? She finished the story by saying, as soon as I said that, suddenly the man let me go and he just walked out of the room. And I know it was God who let me live. I said, Rosa, it's so much more than that. God wants to forgive you. She said, I know, I know. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to, I have to stop doing this. And I need to it changes the way I'm dressing and how I talk. I'm going to clean up my life, and then I'm going to come one day. I said, Rosa, God wants you now as you are because he is the only one that can empower you to change. You see, if any of us can actually clean up our own life, we wouldn't need a Savior. But I have learned how much I need him to truly change And I have learned to cry out, God, I do not deserve it, but please, would you have mercy and help me? He responds to our cry. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, he looked at his father, he looked around at the house that he was living in, the servants and all that he had, and he said, you know, I don't want this. I don't really want you. You're taking an awful long time to die. I want my inheritance. Give me what I deserve. I want to live my life, my way. And that's what he did. He walked out. And he lived life his way until he came to the end of his self. Then it says that he turned and he started back home towards his father. And as he's rehearsing what he's going to say in Luke 15, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And how did God respond? He ran. The faithful father ran to cover the son who had despised him and walked away. And you know, according to Deuteronomy... He deserved public stoning at his father's front door for the way he had treated his father. But the Bible says that as he was a long way off, the father was there looking, looking down the path, the brokenhearted father who loved his son, no matter what he had done, was looking to see. And it says, as he was a long way off, that he came. Because you know what? As the son was walking back that long pathway towards the father, towards his home, you know, maybe the neighbors were starting to come out. Maybe they were just going to come out so they could spit at him or stand there and 
What a shame. Look what he did. Look what he did to his family. Did you hear what he did? Or maybe they were gathering up stones so they could follow him to that front door. And so to silence the neighbor's whispers and their critique, and to remove his son's shame, the father ran down the pathway to welcome him. What he received was public redemption on the pathway. And it is the same for us. Do we remember that he will run as we cry out to him, Father, I choose to lay down myself, not me. I don't want to trust my wisdom more than yours. I want to stop critiquing what I think a good God should have done. Not my path. It's not what I want. It's not what I think I'm good at. It's not what my parents have been forcing me to do. But it's what you ask. It's not my way. It's not trying harder that if I really despise myself and tell myself what an idiot I am, that I'm not going to go back to that binging or I'm not going to go back to that computer when I feel empty or I'm not going to keep in this anger problem or I'm actually going to be able to get rid of my bitterness. It's not my trying harder, but God, it is asking for you to come and rescue me. And you know what? Rosa's cry for help was desperate. Even though nobody heard it, she said it inside as she was being choked. And the cry for help from traffic people is obvious. But today, I am also inviting you to hear the inaudible cry of a billion people that are being strangled by secularism like my friend, who we could say is a radical secularist. He grew up in an atheistic family in France. He would tell me, you know, we never ate a meal together as a family. Christmas Eve at Grandma's, we would sit around the table and eat. But otherwise, we were never together. We didn't talk to each other. I didn't talk to my brothers and sisters. My parents never talked to me. We each had our own computer. We stayed in our own room. And I've tried to not care through the years by numbing out that no one wanted me in their life. But I still ache inside anyway. Or my other friend that we could say is a religious secularist. You know, my parents never married. But my mom, she started going to church when I was little. I lived with her, but she was always gone. She was always at work. And my dad, whenever I would see him from the time I was 10 years old, would say, you know what, Anna? You need to learn to make your own decisions. But I didn't know what was right. I still don't know what's right. I just feel anxious all the time. How do I know? Or my friend, Myelise, who we could say is a spiritual secularist, When Miley's first came, she could hardly put together a sentence. She was very deeply emotionally troubled. But as we loved her, now she sat in God's presence in worship. God began to do some things and to heal her heart. And she began to tell us, you know, my mom put me in a psychiatric unit when I was 12. Because I was home one night 
and I was trying to sleep, and something dark came in my room. It was a demon, and it scared me. But my mom doesn't believe, no one in my family believes that the supernatural exists. So I was crazy. And now it's 20 years, and I don't feel like I can share that with anybody. I mean, who believes this stuff? But I feel tortured between fear of seeing it again and of just thinking, you know what, Miley, you are crazy. You're crazy. I'm asking you to hear the cry of the secularist student that's at you. Minnesota, down the street, who may be saying, if there is a God, what does it matter? He doesn't care about me. He's never been involved in my life. Or the person who's saying, the harder I try, the more I fail. I just feel hollow, and I'm too tired to care. You know, today, Jesus is looking for those who are willing to follow his path, who are willing to say, I will lay down my life. I will lose my life. I will lose myself because I love the Father and so that others could be set free from enslavement to themselves. You know, if the person who was going to come on the piano would want to come. This morning, I just want to invite us to have a moment of sitting at the Father's feet. And if you are weary from trying trying harder, trying to be a good kid, trying to be perfect. You know, sometimes we know that salvation comes by grace, but what about sanctification? It's us, right? It's us working. We're going to make it happen. We're going to get there. We're going to reflect Christ by working harder, trying more. Project self. But if you're weary from trying, Weary from offering up God your strength. And you're ready to say, God, I am offering up to you my weakness. I know I don't deserve it. But I need you. Would you come and help me? If you're in a garden season where you know God is placing this pathway or this pathway before you, and you're ready to say, you're more wise than I am. I choose you, not me. Your path, not mine. Or if you're just open to hear the cry of a billion secular people who are in the grip of self and secularism, then I just invite you to come to sit a moment at his feet and say, God, I choose to lay down myself because I love you and because I want to see 
that human student be free and that guy I work with be free and the people in the nations to be free. I'm going to lay down my whiteboard dreams and follow your path. I'm just going to pray and then invite you to come. We have, it looks like, six minutes to me from that clock to sit at his feet. Father, we need you. We need you. Because truly, we've come to the end of ourselves. We've come to the end of trying and working. We've come to the end of our wisdom and our critique. How could we even critique you, God? Father, we want to choose to lay down the why. And just say, I am following you. I choose you. I trust you. In this hard moment in my life, I choose you, your strength, your power, your wisdom, your path. God, help me to be free because there are people that are being choked around me and I don't even know it. God, awaken me. Awaken me to hear what you hear so clearly. Awaken us, God, to hear. Today, we make the choice. We're laying down ourselves. We're losing ourselves so that we and others can be free. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In about four minutes, it will be dismissal time, and I'll, I'll let you know when it's time to be dismissed. Um, but I just invite you to come or to find a place in his presence.